praise his name this morning, church. He is worthy of our praise. God, you are worthy of our praise. We lift high the name of Jesus. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for his resurrection. And we thank you for saving us, God, to be a part of what you're doing here. And so, God, as we worship you through the scriptures this morning, we ask that you would open our eyes, God. Though they may be stories we've heard, God, we pray that you would give us a new and fresh approach to it. Let us hear your word in an amazing way this morning. We pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. Amen. Hey, give it up one more time for the John Kang Band. Hey, they've done a fantastic job uh, all weekend. Um, hey, my name is Ryan Aldridge, and I am the area director for Young Life here in Alito in Parker County. Um, and I have had the blessing uh, of teaching your kids and getting to speak to your kids all weekend. Uh, and I want to give uh, a special thanks to Brother Lee and, and Pastor Kenny and Andy, Bob, and Nathan for, for giving me that opportunity. Um, I really have enjoyed it. And I know a lot of these kids just from the high school, and, and I've gotten to know a lot of the middle school folks. Um, and we have had, we've had a blast. Um, and we have been speaking, if you just had a moment to look at the you know, hundreds of blue shirts out there, We've been talking about encountering Jesus um, and encountering God, and, and I've walked through four different, or tonight, this morning will be the fourth, but three other encounters with, with God that um, guys in the Bible have had where they have come in contact and had a life-changing experience uh, with, with Jesus, with the, with the God of the universe. Um, the first night, we talked about Simon Peter, and we talked about how he's just a regular fisherman. And through contact with Jesus, Jesus speaks into him and gives him this vision along with the other disciples to be the ones that are going to take his gospel, the one that Jesus does, the saving, the one where he dies on the cross for our sins. He says, I'm going to choose you along with the other disciples to take that news to the world. All from a simple fisherman. And then the next morning, Saturday morning, we talked about Abraham and how Abraham was married to a, a barren woman and he was old and he was 75 years old before he or before the Bible records him encountering God the first time and then he has to wait 25 years before he receives the blessing that he's promised and how sometimes in that pe waiting period we take things into our own hands uh, and try and take God's plan into our own hands and then a little later he has his son he has the blessing the blessing from God comes to him in the form of his only one and only born son, Isaac, and then God asks him to take that, to give that up, to take it away from him in a sacrifice. But he follows through and he gets to receive the blessing and continue on his heritage and his lineage and be the one that he chose to be the chosen people of God. And from Isaac has a son named Jacob and Jacob is a, is a shifty little guy. And we talked about Jacob Saturday night, last night. And Jacob connives and he tries to get all these things because he just wants to be blessed. He just wants to have the birthright. And he does all these move, makes all these moves personally out of, and yet God still continues to chase after him relentlessly. And through Jacob 
has 12 sons. He changes, God has an, he has an encounter with God and he wrestles God all through the night. And God changes his name to Israel. And Israel's 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. And through that lineage comes Jesus. And through being willing to wrestle, to go to the mat with God, to spend time face-to-face contact with God, we can receive the blessings from him that he promises us. And this morning, we're going to talk about maybe the worst of them all, but a guy named Saul. See, Saul was, was, he was a lot of things. He was a lot of things, but what he wasn't was a follower of Jesus. Um, Saul was, was a, he was a Pharisee. He was, a, he was an educated man. He had tons of zeal for, for the law. Um, and he was a persecutor of the church. And it says in Philippians chapter, th- chapter 3, verses 4, it says this. So although I myself might have confidence in my flesh, I, Saul, have a lot of confidence in, who, in my abilities. And if anyone is going to, it's going to be me because I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the tribe. I'm of the nation of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. As for the law, I'm a Pharisee. As for zeal, I'm the persecutor of the church. As to righteousness in which is consideration with the law, I am found blameless. What Saul was saying here is he's saying, hey, I know what it takes to be good enough according to myself. I've spent my whole life, Saul has spent spent his whole life building this platform, building this safety net, building this wall around him saying, proving to himself, to his community, and to trying to prove to God that he is worth it. I've got, I'm good enough. I've followed all the laws. I am of the highest level of churchgoer. I have all these things going on for me. But see, Saul was deeply entrapped in that cold grip of legalism. And I think we are a lot like Saul sometimes. You see, he defined himself by his status, by his position, by his level in the community. He defined himself by his performance. And the way, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that only through the good work of Christ on the cross, this thing that the disciples were spreading was putting everything that he had worked for into jeopardy. And he, that's where the, the persecution comes from. He was like, I have to end this because if this takes off, I'm worth nothing to anybody. And I think we're a lot like Saul in, in, in certain ways. I know I am. Um, in that we look for validation, we look for, we want to be worthy of praise of three different things. We want to be worthy of praise, first off, of our community. I know that I want, and I think that some of us want our community to say, hey, I look at your family, wow, you have a great family, you have great kids. I am so proud of what you've accomplished in your family. And that's not necessarily a bad thing to want that. But it's when we seek that validation outside of God and we want to be proven worthy from these other folks that we come into this doing it on our own manner that Saul was working with, that Abraham ended up doing, that Jacob tried. And 
So worthy of our community. We want to be worthy of praise of also our God. You see, sometimes I think, I think, okay, I got to be good enough so that God will continue to love me. I've, I've accepted Jesus, but, but I must continue to work so that I can continue to stay in good standing. We just want God to look at us and say, oh, I'm so proud of how good of a Christian you are. But the truth is, is that's what Saul wanted. He wanted God to look down and, oh, you are so righteous according to the law. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I, Jesus, is the one that makes you right with him, and believing and coming in contact with him is all that matters. And the third thing is we want to be, we want to be worthy of praise of ourselves. We want to know that we believe, I believe that I am capable, that I can do it, that I am strong enough, that I am able to go about this life and make things happen for myself, to create moments and to create blessings because I, I, I did it. And all three of those things are just things that pull us away. And sometimes I think that the biggest thing that keeps us from drawing near to God is this idea that we must do the drawing. You see, I think that there's this analogy where as we sin, as sinners, we're running away from God. We've turned our back on God. We've chosen to do it our own way, and we're running away from God. And that in order to encounter God, and in order to encounter Jesus, we must then turn and run back all the way to God and make up all that ground. But I think what's really true and what really is happening is that we are running away from God. And Jesus is just following so close behind. He is, like we said earlier, your love is relentless. He's relentlessly pursuing us. And that when we decide to say, I want to encounter Christ, I want to be near to you, Lord, and we turn and it's boom, encounter with Jesus. He's there for us, not standing off in the distance like, oh, great, now make your way back, young son. No, he's standing right there in our faces saying, I'm here. I'm here for you. Listen to, uh, it's in Acts chapter 22 that I'm going to read uh, Saul's encounter with God. We're going to dive in here. It's in chapter 22, verses 6. And we're going to continue on. It says, and so it came about that I was on my way. This is Saul speaking. It was on my way approaching Damascus about noontime, and a bright light suddenly flashed from the heavens all around me, and I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered him, I said, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, the one whom you're persecuting. And those who were with me beheld the light for, to be sure, but they did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, arise and go into Damascus. And there you'll be told all that you are supposed to do, all that is appointed to you. You see, Saul has this encounter with God, with Jesus. He has this encounter with Jesus Christ, the one whom he is persecuting. 
You see, right before that, in, in Acts chapter 22, it says that Saul had received letters from the high priest, giving him permission to go to Damascus to wreak havoc on the church on the way. He knew the disciples were there. He knew there were some, some folks there that were like head of organizing this gospel movement, this way. And he was going there to imprison them, to kill them, to persecute them. And in the moment of him heading in that direction to cause havoc, not running to God, running away from God, Jesus enters in and steps in. I mean, this is a hand in the cookie jar moment if I've ever saw one. You see, I've got a two and a half year old little girl, Emma Jane, uh, and I love her very much. She is the cutest thing. I told all the kids about her. Um, I told them that she loves three things. She loves smoothies, she loves twirly dresses, and she loves listening to music. And at any moment, you will catch her doing any of those things. Um, but Emma Jane, sometimes, uh, here's how it works with her. If, she, if you can hear her, everything's great. If it's silent, something is up. Mischief is aloof. She has found herself in one of two places usually. Either my wife's makeup bag or like lotion thing, and there's lotion everywhere, uh, or she's found herself into the pantry and she's opening up the little containers of those little self-seal containers and trying to get herself some cheddar bunnies or Triscuits or cranberries or something. And what's really funny is when you open the pantry door real fast and she's got, you know, she's, she knows how to shut the door and like the light on and everything and she'll shut the door, shut herself in there and you open it up real fast and she's like, <laughs> like a little raccoon. Like, I just got got. Oh no. And I feel like that has to be how Saul feels, right? I mean, he's got letters in his hand on his way to persecute the people that are pursuing Christ and Jesus shows up and says, hey, what are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? And I have to imagine that Saul is petrified, like, ah, uh, these are their letters. They're not my letters. I don't know. I don't know anything about this. I don't even know where Damascus is. Never looked at a map. But here's the thing, guys. Saul is on this death mission, this prison mission for these people. And Jesus enters into his world. You see, Jesus is not just relational. He's not just a relational God. He's an incarnational God. You see, Jesus doesn't just invite the people that he comes in contact with to come to his thing and say, hey, come to, uh, come to my healing clinic from one to five. I'll be here and I'm just gonna do these math. He goes to the paralyzed man by the pool and he goes to, down to the road and he stops and he heals the blind man and he stops when the woman touches his coat and interacts with her in her world and he goes to Jairus' house and he goes to Zacchaeus' house. Because Jesus wants to enter into your world when you are at your lowest point. Irregardless or regardless of whether or not you're right with God or whether or not you are on the right path or whether or not you are the, the Pharisee of Pharisees, the Hebrew of Hebrews, Jesus enters into your world because he loves you dearly. Nothing can keep us from the presence of God. If God wants to have an encounter with you, we must simply just answer, here I am. Um, 
I'd like for you to take a moment, or on your sermon notes you can if you want, or later you can. I wrote down there, what is it that's keeping you from the presence of God? The answer, the honest answer is nothing. But what are our perceived things that keep us from the presence of God? What is it that you perceive in your life that's holding you back from experiencing and encountering Christ the way Saul is, or the way Paul is? All right, we're going to move on here. But since I could not see, verse 11, but since I could not see, Saul, I can't see. I was led by hand to those who were with me, and we came into Damascus. When you encounter Christ, the results are direct and visible change. Direct and visible change happens when you have this encounter, a true encounter with Jesus, because Saul is so far gone as a, as in, in relation to how good he is. But immediately when he comes in contact, his life changes. First off, he goes to the town that he was headed to to cause havoc. But now he's going as a disciple. Within five minutes or however long this encounter with God was, within a short time, one encounter, he immediately flips from persecutor to disciple. And his only instructions are go, go to Damascus and you'll find out more. And he's, he's in, he's all in, and he steps into this calling of, from Jesus. And he goes to Damascus and he's blind. He's blind from, the, from, the, from seeing the light of the Heavenly Father. Um, in, order us, in order for us to encounter Christ, we must be willing to listen, we must be willing to obey. If we dive in, if we say, God, I want to encounter you, we have to be willing to obey what he brings to us, even if it means following the path to the place where you know the people who you're going to see are scared and frustrated and angry with you, and knowing that he's going to be looked at like the biggest hypocrite in the world. No, 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 guys, I promise. I know I said I was coming to kill you. I actually am on your side now. It was really bright back there. I'm all in. Ananias, there's a guy named Ananias. Um, he's one of, the, one of the guys that was in Damascus. And he has a vision from the Lord. He's a disciple of God. He has a, he's a vision from the Lord that says, hey, Saul is coming. Paul, in this verse, Saul's name gets changed to Paul. And Ananias gets a vision. Hey, this man is coming. You know of him. You've heard of him. He's coming. I need you to embrace your adversary. I need you to embrace him. Welcome him in because he is a chosen instrument. He's a chosen instrument to do the will of God. That's what the Bible says. He calls Saul a chosen instrument. When you have an encounter with Christ, you are a chosen instrument to spread the news of Jesus Christ regardless of what your past life was like, regardless of what your current life is like, the moment you encounter Christ, the moment salvation comes into your heart, you are called to be a chosen instrument, a disciple, a spreader of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Now, this is a crazy experience for Ananias, right? Because it's terrifying, because he's now been told, go to the person that's going to kill you and welcome him. Are you willing to step out of our comfort zone, our comfortable platform, our comfortable safety wall, and reach out not just to strangers who don't know us, but to the folks that are our enemies? We all have folks in our life that don't like us. I have people in my life that aren't fans of Ryan Aldridge. I know it's hard to believe, but they're out there. Am I willing to not just do ministry to high school kids who have fun hanging out with me? Am I willing to not just do ministry to my Young Life committee or my Young Life donors or the people in the town that I like? Am I willing to step out of my gym? Am I willing to step out of my soccer team? Am I willing to step out of my school parent organization? Am I willing to step out into the world of my enemies and say, I want you to know Jesus. He loves you desperately. I want you to encounter Christ in the way that I have. I don't care that you don't like me. I want you to know this life-changing love. It says, the Great Commission, the Great Commission um, in the Bible is in Matthew. Um, it says this. Let me read it so I don't mess it up. And Jesus came up to the disciples and he spoke to them saying this, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I want you to go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Go and make disciples of all nations. Yes, into all countries. Yes, into all people groups. Yes, even the nation of enemies that you have. Go and make disciples. You see, I think that God's vision for murderers, liars, and cheaters like you and I is to be vessels of the Holy Spirit so that his name might be made great. The darkness that we've lived, the past that we've lived, the current situations that we're in, all can speak to his glory if we let Jesus transform our hearts and then share that transformation with everyone else. Because that is his vision for your life. That you might know him, that you might love him, and that you might love people. Love God and love people. As elementary as it sounds, it's the most dynamic way to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And only then will we really encounter life to the full, life with Christ. That is the encounter, face-to-face -face contact with him that he has called us to have. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thanks for... Um, 36 hours or 48 hours with uh, 
these kids that are in our town, Lord, I pray that they will hear what we've shared. They will encounter Christ on a daily basis. They'll encounter Christ this weekend and that their lives will be changed like Saul's into Paul and like Abram into Abraham and Jacob into Israel and Simon into Peter. That they will take what they've learned and that they will go and be light and they will share Christ with their enemies and with their friends. And Lord, that the adults in this room, Lord, that they will step out of their work comfort and their life comfort and that they will go and they will share the gospel with their enemies and with their people that they come in contact with and that everyone in Parker County can have an encounter with Christ. In your name I pray, amen. Uh, ushers, if you guys want to come down and uh, for the offering. Mm-hmm.